Welcome back to the Eduverse Enigma podcast. This week, we're chatting with Expert VR's very own Chris Rosati, the lead technical artist here at Expert VR. This episode, we'll be diving into Expert VR's training simulations, the vast world of shaders, and the future of VR technology and the metaverse. You won't want to miss it. Welcome back to the Edgeverse Enigma podcast. Very excited today. We have Chris or Christopher Rosati from the Expert VR team, our lead technical artist on here to chat about his experience with VR and education, as well as all the awesome projects he's been working on at Expert VR and what he's been up to in life outside of uh, Expert VR and his education experience as well. Uh, so thanks for coming on, Chris. Thanks, everyone. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. So I guess to, to start us off, whereabouts are you uh, located right now? So I'm in Bolton, Ontario, small little town uh, just north of Brampton and Vaughan. So southern Ontario, GTA region, uh, where a lot of us at Expert VR are located. Um, yeah, Bolton, oh, good old small awesome. town. Born and raised, right? Yes, been yeah. there for basically 25 years, yeah. Nice, nice. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, I guess... Tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who is Chris Rosati? And hmm. in your your own words, uh, I guess, what is a lead technical artist and what you hmm. do at Expert VR? Great question. Um, yeah, so I'm Chris Rosati. Um, graduated from Brock University in St. Catharines in 2020, I guess that was. Uh, I was part of the first cohort of the game development program there. And that's where you and I met, where, where we uh, started uh, working at Expert VR. Um, in my leisure time, I love sports. I'm a, I'm a rock climber. I love climbing rocks. I love playing hockey, soccer. Uh, grew up playing hockey and soccer. Uh, Ultimate Frisbee has been a, a, a passion of mine recently uh, or lately. And um, yeah, so at Expert VR, I'm, a, I'm our lead technical artist. So uh, a lot of people, uh, it's a new term. A lot of people don't know exactly what that means. So basically, um, all it means is that I have expertise in both the art and programming side. So I'm not a hundred percent like our, our uh, in-house artist or a hundred percent a programmer. I'm kind of that person that bridges the two, those two people together. Um, so I'm, I'm always working closely with our programmers and our artists to put our simulations together and, and make them work. Um, specifically though, a technical artist usually has like a, a focal point or something that they specialize in. So my specialization would be uh, working with shaders and visual effects. Um, I could get into what a shader is, but <laughs> that's a that's a whole other podcast. It's basically making it it's it's what the objects in three D need to uh, so that we can see them. So it's it's basically a programming language that lets the user see three D objects. That's Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask what is a shader, but you're right. That's probably a whole whole podcast episode yeah. diving into that. So I, I guess um, it allows people to see what a 3D model is. But could you give an example of like maybe a shader in one of our yeah, latest simulations? For sure. So okay. So a shader is again, it's a it's a script. So it's a it's a um, programming uh, script that tells the computer how an object is to look. So without a shader, an object would be invisible to us. Like you, you need a shader to tell the computer how it wants a certain object to look. Um, so basically every object has like sort of a standard shader that gives it the lighting that it's supposed to have, that gives it the color that it's supposed to have, 
the different um, textures on it, like how much metalness it looks or like how metallic it is, how rough the surface is, those kind of things. But you could also make a lot of different kind of custom shaders. Like um, for example, a lot of objects in our simulations need to be like outlined, kind of like highlighted so that they're like an interactable object. So the user knows that it's something that can be grabbed or clicked or, or whatever. Um, so some objects, when you highlight over them, they'll have this like blue or green or whatever we choose, kind of like flashing highlight um, that happens. So the shader is what drives that effect and what tells the computer that we want to have this color and we want it to fade out and fade in and, and do all those things, right? So um, an artist usually like just a, a, a 3D um, a 3D artist wouldn't technically learn those things. Um, they would more learn how to make a 3D model and what textures to give it. So kind of just like static, like what textures to give it. And then the technical artist would take those textures and put it into uh, something that we call in Unity, which is the tool we use as a, a material. So they take those, those textures and make a material out of it um, that is run by the shader, if that, if that makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. So like yeah. to, for like a very direct example, um, let's say like in our search and rescue simulations, we have mm. a couch. So the yeah. 3D modeler, they would create that couch. Um, mm -hmm. And then on top of it, they would have the texture of the fabric on the, the couch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then they so they would, would have, give um, yeah. a bunch of different, uh, we call them maps. So uh, every object has usually like four or five maps. Uh, and the first one will be all the color information. So that's called, we call it an albedo map. So it's, it, that only holds just the color information. It doesn't have, it doesn't hold any information about what parts might be bumpy, what parts might be metallic. Those are for separate maps. So albedo is just color. Then we have uh, metallic. So in the, in the case of a sofa, none of it's metallic. So that part would just be black. Um, then we have our like smoothness or roughness shader it comes by different names that kind of shows you how much of the surface is like rough or shiny. Um, so where if it was full shiny, it would look like a mirror. And if it was full roughness, it would look like plastic or like something that doesn't give off any light bounces or reflective bounces. Um, and then you have, there's a bunch of other maps you can add to make it look more realistic. Um, but another way that I can explain shaders is that um, a lot of our simulations, we try to get them as realistic as possible. The whole point for our simulations is to uh, replicate real life. So we use um, usually something called a PBR shader. It just, all it is, is it tries to replicate real life as close as possible. But a lot of video games, like cartoony video games, don't care about that. So their shaders will be... Um, they call them like cell shaders or there's, there's a bunch of different names. So basically it just manipulates the way that the light hits the object to give it more of a cartoony look. Um, so as opposed to like a perfect gradient that goes from black to white, which is what we see in real life. Like we have a vast uh, gradient of light. You would see more of like a, a banded, uh, like three tones of light. Um, so a really good example is like Legend of Zelda. Those games often use uh, cell shaders and make it look very cartoony. But like what's really cool and that what I think drove me into learning more about shaders was that you could like, if I had access to the Legend of Zelda, like uh, original like project file, I could just change all the shaders and they would make it look like 
I could try to make it look like realistic Zelda, like give it different textures. So like the shaders have so much uh, control over how the thing looks. Like you could change one value and it can look completely different. Um, and then I think a lot of people that grew up playing Minecraft and now might be in that world of like, um, they might be used to that term shaders because um, a lot of Minecraft players download their own shaders online, which changes the look of the world. So like gives it different, uh, again, like I was saying, uh, gives it like custom lighting calculations, makes it can, you can get like a really realistic shader pack. Um, you can get ones that are like more cartoony. So yeah, it just completely changes the whole look and feel of the entire environment. For sure. And then in our simulations, obviously a lot of our simulations, especially now we're, we're making them so that they work with the Oculus Quest 2 or other standalone headsets, so the MetaQuest 2, um, other standalone headsets. And from my understanding, shaders play a, a big role in, in that. So like for those that don't know anything about shaders or hardly about the VR technology, <laughs> what, what is the work needed and why is that work needed? to go from something that has like a lot of computing power um, mm. as like our search and rescue simulation um, is and was, and now to building it into a standalone headset. Right. Yeah. So uh, to give some context to this, if people don't know, um, our search and rescue project runs on a computer. So you run it off of any tower, um, specifically, usually like a um, powerful computer tower, let's say. Um, and the whole simulation runs on that CPU, that GPU. But with the standalone headset, I'll just bring mine out real quick. Um, I don't know if you guys have talked about this on the podcast before, but for a standalone headset, this is the whole computer, right? Everything is up here. So just similarly, like a phone, um, they obviously have to, uh, the different components that are in here are going to be a lot weaker than something that uh, is the size of a computer that you can, you know. Um, so what goes in the process of building for a tiny little headset and little, basically a mobile processor like this is, um, uh, it's not just the shaders. Shaders do play a big part of it, but, uh, you basically want to optimize like all of the different art. I mean, I like specifically focus on optimizing the art side. So I, I know more about that. So I can talk about that. The programming is kind of another conversation, but, uh, specifically with the art, um, a big thing you want to do is like Atlas your environment. So what that means is you put multiple objects on the, the same draw call. Um, so if you think about it this way, let's say you have a huge house and every object in your house, like I'm looking around my room, it's super messy. There's a lot of stuff around. If every object was its own object, its own material, its own set of textures, that means the computer, or in this case, the headset, has to go one by one and tell it, okay, the chair has this texture, the chair has this material. It needs to grab all those things one by one and, and process it. So there's a lot of different tasks that's going on the computer. Um, but when you Atlas things, it's basically you, you do some work, um, you do some work offline to take a bunch of your objects and um, put their textures together so that they share the same material. So then that way the computer goes around, scans this room and says, okay, all the objects are using material A. It's like just one material and it only renders that once, right? It only has to do that, we call it a draw call. It only has to do that, that call once. Um, so it's a lot faster. Um, you can basically take a bunch of small textures, put them into a big texture, 
get the computer to render that one big texture once so it doesn't need to go through a hundred small textures um, one time each, right? Uh, and then with shaders, it's basically every little fancy thing you add to a shader adds the calculation. Uh, and since, you know, video games or in our case, uh, VR simulations, they're all run um, in real time. So if you see someone's uh, like, I don't know if anyone's experienced looking at like a, um, a 3D uh, render of uh, someone's like 3D model, that's all baked offline. So that, that artist, they, they spent an hour uh, rendering out that image. The computer did the rendering time and then exported something. But with, uh, with VR and with video games, all that rendering of the scene is happening in real time. So the computer needs to, uh, yeah, it has to keep up with all those calculations. And that's why we see things like uh, FPS drops. Like if, if there's too many things that have to be rendered at one time, then the frame rate is going to get slower because uh, it's just having to do too much, right? Um, so our goal is always to try to keep things around 60 to 90 FPS. Um, so we have to make sure that uh, the entire environment can be rendered uh, quickly, basically, to keep it at 90 frames, right? Um, and with exactly. the shader, it's just reducing the amount of fancy things that happen in the shader and and trying to, there's a bunch of different ways to optimize that, but yeah. Right. So yeah, like a ton of work there to, to take it from computer to, mm -hmm. to headset or in just in general, if we're building it just for standalone headsets, a lot of thinking that needs to go into into the project before yeah. even really starting on the project. Um, I guess talking about projects and SAR or, or anything else, uh, what has been your favorite project that we've worked on to take mm. a step back from the technical? What's been your favorite project we've worked on or that you've got to work on? Um, I mean, yeah, like we've been working on SAR for the last like two years now. That's been like my baby. That's been, I've been, you know, leading that project. Um, that's when, where my head has been at for the last two years. It's been, uh, all I can think about is firefighters and fire and smoke. And so can you explain that... what SAR is a little bit? Oh, more right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. For sure. Uh, so SAR stands for search and rescue. Um, so it is our uh, firefighting simulation in which um, currently we've set it up to be a four player thing, but it started off as a one player thing uh, where firefighters can traverse through a burning building, a burning house, and uh, try to find victims that are located around the house. Um, we give them a certain set of tools at their disposal. So they have a Halligan bar, which is a fireman's uh, crowbar basically. Uh, they have an axe, they have a speaker module, which they can use to talk to their commander, which is actually their instructor that's in the room with them and working on the simulation with them. Uh, they can check out their control module, which shows them how much air they have left in their air canister. Uh, we have a flashlight that they can turn on to look around the house. So the, the house obviously filled with smoke as they enter it. Um, and the flashlight sort of cuts through that smoke. Um, they can, you know, do a full 360 around the house to see where the fire's located. They sort of uh, enter the environment or the, the scenario without having any idea of what's going on. Uh, but the commander before the scenario starts or the, uh, the instructor in the classroom uh, is able to set up that scenario in a custom way, put the fire wherever they want, put the victims wherever they want, say how big they want the fire, if the fire alarms have turned on in the house. Um, and yeah, it's being used right now as a uh, uh, not so much a testing uh, environment or situation, but more of a, a practice. So 
uh, the firefighting students in their in their first year were able to get a, a exposure to um, that kind of environment before they have to do it in real life. For sure, yeah. and, and right now it's it's being used by Conestoga College, is uh, who we developed it with, but we're also now rolling it out to actual fire departments and. Uh, at least at Conestoga College right now, it's used where students normally would go straight from the classroom into live fire training. But with this search and rescue, they're able to, uh, or they're mandatory, have to go through it three times before they can go into an actual live fire scenario, making sure they're prepared. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think one of my favorite parts about working on this project has been, number one, working with the real firefighters to learn about how all these things work. Like, obviously, we're not firefighters. We need uh, expertise on these subjects. and and they work, we work really closely with them. Um, but also getting to watch the students go through it in class. We were there together a couple months ago and we got to watch like a real, I was gonna say demo, but it was a, a real run through of the students using it in a classroom setting. And yeah, that was so surreal to watch them like use our product and actually be getting beneficial uh, things out of it. So that was a lot of fun. For sure, for sure. And talking about that, obviously going in person there with the students we mm -hmm. got a lot of great feedback from them and from the firefighters that are other professors and instructors um and we've been getting other feedback from fire departments we're talking with i guess taking that feedback into consideration but also your personal thoughts and opinions where where would you like to see this go next what kinds of things mm -hmm. are, are you excited to to explore around vr technology with firefighter training yeah, I mean, um, I'm obviously biased with all the opinions that and all the feedback they give us. Um, and I know it's a big thing for them. But also for me, I, I totally agree that the next step, I think, is for us to get into uh, uh, hose related um, uh, features. So basically giving the, the fire, the firemen um, or the firefighters an opportunity to control a hose with water, uh, do some fire suppression. Uh, do some ladder, um, ladder like exfil. So setting up a ladder in a window and and extracting victims out of windows and stuff like that. Um, I totally think that could be a, a possible next step, and I think it would it would add a ton. That's a lot of feedback we were getting. Is you know in a real fire, um, they have this you know hose line. They have the first people that go in, bring in the hose, start suppressing the fire. And then the search and rescue crew comes in after and they have that hose line to help guide them through the house and back out. Uh, so that's something that's definitely missing from our, uh, our situation, but yeah, our, our, uh, our simulation was, was meant more to be, at least this first round was meant more to be like a sandbox experience where they can, um, you know, the simulation doesn't, uh, stop them from doing anything wrong. Uh, that's more for like, we give the instructor that, uh, ability to, you know, talk about it and, and make a mistake so that they can talk about it. Um, so that's what I think was really beneficial for our students on this round. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Mm -hmm. And I guess it, in general, um, what are you most excited about for where the, the VR industry is right now and where it's heading, uh, I guess, connected to education, but uh, also mm -hmm. just in general, um, what are you most excited about? Yeah, VR, I mean, um, the way I'm seeing it right now, um, I think there's still a, a bit of a ways to go in the sort of consumer market. Like when we're comparing it, like the gaming consumer market, when we're comparing it to like PlayStation and Xbox, um, we still, you know, like my friends don't really have headsets. It's not like a thing that's in every household yet. So I think that's, uh, 
that's somewhere that's still on the come up. Uh, and with the with the Oculus Quest 2, with the price being you know a lot cheaper than other headsets, I think we're slowly getting there. But what gets me really excited is how like willing a lot of our clients have been in adopting this new technology and bringing it into schools. Um, I see VR like as a as a training utility. I see it much stronger, or I just see it like um, being so much more impactful right now than than in the gaming world. Really, um, I think like the gaming world. It can seem a little gimmicky still right now, um, but I think in the training world, it's just like really exploded. And and yeah, like seeing the universities so willing to uh, adopt this technology into their classrooms has been really refreshing. Uh, so that's what's been really making me excited. And um, yeah, seeing it in a classroom is just so cool. I wish that I had that like in high school or, or even in university. We never uh had to do well i didn't go to like a, a trades college or anything so i don't know why we would have used it but um yeah seeing the students get their hands on has been really fun for sure and yeah even just going back like you said to high school being able to to have those experiences where you mm. maybe could have like happy that you didn't because you're on our team but uh, <laughs> maybe you could have discovered that oh i would have wanted to be a firefighter if you would have right. experienced that sort of thing yeah sure. absolutely yeah absolutely. and I guess with that, um, to take even one more step back, like mm. how do you see VR in it? Or actually, no, one, one question before we get there. Um, why do you think it's having that impact on, on the education space? Uh, I know at Expert VR, we always quote um, PWC studies of talking how people are four times more focused. They can go through the training four times faster. They're 275% mm. more emotionally, or sorry, more confident and 3.75 times more emotionally connected to the content. Right. Um, but yeah, from your opinion, why do you think yeah. it's having that impact? I think um, the lack of distraction, number one, I would say like you're, you're fully immersed in it. Uh, you don't have your friends there. Well, I mean, <laughs> a lot of the times you do see the students' friends right beside them, kind of like laughing, chuckling and all that. But sometimes you can't even hear them. Like a lot of the times when, when you're in there, you have the audio earphones on, that kind of thing. Your whole world is is suppressed around you and you're, you're fully immersed. Um, so that I think is a huge one. Like I go back to in elementary school, we used to have that time when we when we had like lab time. Everyone goes to the computers and that was like our technology time, right? But I would just always sit beside my friends and we would always be like distracting each other. Everyone's distracting each other. And, you know, who knows how much we actually learned. But uh, in this uh, situation, it's it's extremely immersive. The emotional connection too, like, yeah, since you're in a fully 3D world and a lot of our simulations and other simulations are really pushing that like realistic boundary. Um, we're getting to a point where our worlds look and feel very close to real life um uh and yeah those two things i think make uh, an amazing concoction for for learning so many different things that you can or simulating so many different situations that are so hard to simulate i think in a lot of different industries um uh like you, you we see a lot of the sort of primitive ways that uh scenarios are being simulated in a lot of different fields i think like firefighting is probably one of the most i would say it's probably the, one of the most realistic ways that they simulate like we went you and me went to a real live burn um which is basically if, if people don't know firefighters kind of like once a year they go to this big concrete building and 
set it on fire and then they they practice for the whole day or for a couple days uh but yeah they only get to do it like once a year it's it's very expensive it's costly for the environment um so this gives them an opportunity to kind of do the same thing but they can do it every day for sure yeah, for sure really exciting so with that in mind i guess where if you were to have a crystal ball uh, i know mm. you can't you don't know the future but five, 10 years down the road, where do you see VR in, in the education mm. space? Five, 10 years is pretty, I mean, that's pretty like uh, realistic. Five, 10 years is not that long. So honestly, I think the next step, and we've talked about this a little bit, is sort of more, um, more engaging um, rooms for, for them to simulate environments. So right now, um, a lot of simulations, <clears throat> you kind of stand still and you have to do different traversal methods to get around. So in ours, we, you know, you, you push the analog stick forward and it, you teleport around the environment. But um, what I want to see a lot of in the future is large, large warehouse, uh, real life warehouses where we can have situations where um, students or, or uh, players can move around that, the real life environment freely and it can be sort of mapped to our virtual environment one-to-one. -one. So they can basically walk around the virtual environment as if it's their own. And um, I don't know, I feel like we have the space for that in schools, they have gymnasiums. I feel like in five, 10 years, there can be really uh, seamless ways, seamless setups where we can take an hour and set up the whole gym and then take an hour and take it down type of thing. Or even just a warehouses. Like I think so many companies can utilize these empty warehouses and make, really amazing you just need a huge space and then the simulation can sort of map you give the simulation how big you want it you tell it just be smaller than that and then you know set up all the walls and stuff in virtual uh, in the virtual space and then in real life it's just kind of open and um yeah that's what i would love to see imagine like our search and rescue project in the in like a, a gymnasium type thing that would be crazy yeah and I, I think the beauty of it too is like if you have that space you have that hardware you can have mm. our search and rescue simulation, but then an hour later, you can have students come in for business leadership training and yeah. they have like a whole office that they can walk around. And then yeah. the next hour you have nursing students come in or et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same physical space, but it can be a million virtual spaces, you know? Yeah, exactly. Love it. That's a great way to, great way to put it. Yeah. Thinking of that future and getting there, what do you think are like, some of the, I know you're not in an educator facing mm. some of these barriers, but what do you think are some of the barriers that need to be overcome, I guess, mm. on the technical side or, or not, but just from your, your point of mm. view, um, some of the ones that guests have listed in the past are like institutional backing and just getting that support from the institution. Right. Others that you kind of mentioned are like the hardware side of things and just getting it to a price point where either a price point where we can have a lot of the headsets in a school or to the technical capabilities where we can run um, large simulations like mm. that. Other people before Apple made their announcement were saying like just Apple getting in the game was going to light a fire yeah. under a lot of people. Um, but yeah. I think the think? Apple thing was, was really excited. I do think it'll light, light the fire under a lot of people because as soon as Apple enters the game for a lot of different tech, it, uh, it sparks people's interest. But um yeah, my first thought, my first roadblock is always sort of um, like, okay, what headset they're going to use this is more of a hardware thing. 
Like if they're going to use a tethered headset, that means what? They have to carry a computer on their back. They need to be tethered to the to the ceiling so that they can move around freely. Like those are those are things that are that I think will introduce a lot of friction. So being able to make simulations that can run on um, wireless headsets um, and to, for them to be that big and to run on wireless headsets, that's definitely going to be the biggest challenge. But I genuinely like when it comes to the dimensions and stuff, I've, I, we haven't done it yet, but I feel like it would be pretty self-explanatory, pretty simple to take the dimensions of a big building, make sure the virtual environment is just smaller than that, than those dimensions. And then if that all runs on a wireless headset, like they should be able to just run freely now. Right. So I don't see a ton of, yeah. And then you have, like you said, I don't know much about the, the, um, education sphere, but yeah, I'm sure that would be a, a tough sell for, for some, um, yeah, for some schools. For sure. There has to be those mm -hmm. early adopters that are showing mm -hmm. how it's improving their, their schools mm -hmm. that much that yeah. other institutions start to buy in. And that just means um, we have to make a, uh, a demo or some, some way that they can see it and see it running well and see it being able to be put up and cleaned up quickly. And I think those are things that are important to them. And sure. safety. Safety is probably going to be a huge thing, especially for students like K to 12 type schools. Um, I assume that they're probably like their highest uh, concern is probably going to be safety. People running into each other, people tripping over, people uh, hurting themselves and hurting the equipment. Um, so lots of lots of padding on the floors and walls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can remember how hectic it got when uh when we were playing hockey in a gymnasium and they just threw a bunch of hockey yeah. sticks in the middle. Imagine throwing yeah. 30 headsets in the middle of the gymnasium. Oh my God. Letting kids Jeez. run wild. Yeah. You have to be replacing those headsets every six months. That's yeah. wild. Yeah. For sure. For sure. I, I guess looking at that future as well and looking at the, the technical side of things, um, Oculus is now meta. Metaverse mm -hmm. is a, a big word in in the world now and uh, everyone's talking about it do you do you picture this i guess what do you picture as the metaverse and do you think that's the future i guess is the first question man i'm i'm so behind on my metaverse up to date i like people ask me all the time they're like man like you're in vr like what's this met like what is it like should i be scared i'm like to me the metaverse is just a space that um, meta is trying to create, um, uh, as like, a the way I see it is like, it's kind of like the internet, but for VR. So they're trying to make the internet, but like in a virtual space, that's at least my understanding of it. I don't know where it's going to go. I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm the last person to ask about, um, uh, where it's going. I, to me, it seems like it hasn't really picked up people kind of like mm -hmm. I've seen videos of people jumping into that, that shares. What is the metaverse space called? Her, is it horizon or is that a different thing? Horizon worlds is uh, yeah. Facebook's version. Yeah. Her meta's version. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think people have been pretty underwhelmed by what they've seen. Um, but who knows, they might be the ones to, to create the, the framework for all of this, like, uh, big room scale room scale vr stuff that we're talking about but yeah i don't know what do you think <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> has anyone ever asked you what you think <laughs> yeah definitely we definitely had the conversation a few times i would i would say similar to you i picture the metaverse as 
just the next evolution of the internet it's yeah and like i think everything that we do with the internet today is still going to be around like people will still use videos people will mm -hmm. still use word or google docs yeah for, um, sure. for typing things but it just that next evolution of 3d being added on top of it um and yeah like i think i feel like that's the future of vr because um like we were in remio this morning and yeah. uh for those that i think we've mentioned remio in the past but for anyone new to the podcast remio is the platform that we use to get together every monday morning for our team meetings we got a, a boardroom in there we have a basketball court and then there's all kinds of other little things but there's also in the middle of the space portals to go into other games made by remio but mm -hmm. also into other apps made by other developers and i think that just makes sense to me that just like being on google you can very easily go into a search bar yeah. and go to a different website i would see the same being possible where i'm in remio but now i want to go into uh into our search and rescue simulation i can right. do that very easily and then within the search and rescue simulation i can open some sort of menu or something where i can create another portal to go now into um 11 table tennis and play table right. tennis with a friend kind of thing yeah like i i think i always want to compare it to the current gaming consoles so like let's say a playstation for example like i could definitely see meta creating like the home page like a, a world uh that is like the home page of where you can go do all your things so like yeah you can go do, you can go to the meta store and buy your games you can enter all your games through this like meta homepage type thing, um, enter your party chats, enter your, all that kind of thing, right? Play your little mini games. Um, yeah, I could definitely see them, them getting there. I don't think they're there yet. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah, it's like the virtual version of um, the PlayStation framework or the, the internet framework, Google, whatever. It's kind of, yeah, just that, that virtual version of that. For yeah. sure. I guess curious there to to dig a little deeper. Would you say you see the metaverse in the future more as kind of, um, I guess the the PlayStation or like Steam type library where you can get everything and that's your like homepage and you can go mm -hmm. into different apps, or do you see it more as like Google? I know Google has like Google Play and everything, right. but like more as this is just a search bar and anybody has access to upload their content there and it's less like yeah. controlled i guess yeah i think uh, now that you say that definitely the more like internet google type i think is what the metaverse because um yeah you know playstation xbox their goal is just video games they they build their whole system just based off of you play a game you, you talk to friends um but i could see the metaverse being even like when we went to ces i still think about this all the time we went to ces a few years ago which is the consumer electronics conference in, in Las Vegas. And one of the things that they talked about was just being able to like be in your car and like go shopping on your way home. And like, yeah, I mean, I, I see the metaverse as, as being that, um, like uh, the ability to go on Amazon or go on any type of web page, but in, in VR, go to any type of game. Um, yeah. yeah. Is that what you're, is that what you're thinking too? Yeah, no, I, I would agree as well. And I think, yeah, like you're saying, I think it, it's kind of that becomes that mix between virtual reality and augmented reality. Because like mm -hmm. you're saying, you're, you're in your car, maybe you go to Amazon and you're 
you're buying some new shoes yes. and you're able to see those in augmented reality. Yeah. You see them in augmented reality, you spin them around and say, Oh, my daughter would love this. And then you buy them. And then before you get home, they arrive at your front door. Yeah. That was the example for, this is an inside joke for people listening. That was the example that we heard at CES and we were both enamored by that example. And <laughs> Yeah, we'll yeah. we'll make sure the the CES video is is linked in the comments and yeah. or in the description. And uh, yeah, Chris has a good good clip <laughs> in there talking about buying his daughter's shoes, but he yeah. does not have a daughter yet uh, for context. That was the example they gave us when they were showing us the technology. So I just latched onto that example. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> no, love it, love it. Um, I guess talking about just VR and uh, the metaverse. Uh, for what it is today, what is kind of your favorite software outside of expert VR, mm -hmm. I guess? What's your favorite uh, software <laughs> game? Yeah. <laughs> um, I've always loved Beat Saber like that. That's always my answer for these types of things. Like uh, during lockdown, during COVID, it was an awesome way for me to like get my exercise in. I thought I was like doing it every day. I, I got into... Um, trying to like perfect that expert plus level or, or is that what it's called? I think it was called expert plus. I haven't played it in so, a yeah. while, but yeah. like expert plus. And I remember just like having to get a towel cause I was sweating so much and like breaking a sweat and um, even like modding it so I can get my own songs in there. Like people had like modded versions. That was really fun. Uh, you, me and Drew have been playing pop one a little bit. I haven't jumped on it a little bit, but we love that game. That's a fun one. That's like a battle royale shooter type game. Yeah. Um, you'll have to jump on sometime. They they have their new like creator mode. So there's like oh, a sick. million different maps that are like sick. really cool. And you can make that's your own awesome. maps, obviously. That's sweet. Yeah. Okay. That's sweet. Um, what are the games that we've been playing? One, one um, experience that I had with VR, very early experience before I started working here, which I love to tell the story is um, uh, the game's super hot. Um, so if you don't know the game, basically uh, you're in like a black and white environment. Uh, the world is very like, uh, uh, diamond and sharp edges and all that. And uh, when you move, then the world, uh, sorry, let me, let me explain it. When you are not moving, the world is like pause, like the time is uh, slowed down and pause. So time only moves when you move. Uh, and, and one of the levels, they force you to, there's a, there's a funny little like story that goes along with the game, but uh, in one of the levels, you have to like jump off of a building. You have to just kind of walk forward and your player jumps off of a building. And this was back when it like came out, we were playing with, um, I was playing at a friend's house on like the, the first PlayStation VR, I think. And uh, I've always been kind of scared of heights. So when it got to that level, like I could not walk forward off the edge. I, my body would not move forward. I could not, like my legs stopped. I knew that in real life, I, there was just more carpet in front of me. Like it was just a living room but my whole body froze and I could not like let myself walk forward knowing that I would like be left off the edge. My friends were even like kind of pushing my back being like, just go, just like move forward. And I was like holding the back, like don't push me. Um, yeah, that was crazy. That was one of my first experiences in VR and that I'll, I'll always remember that now that I've worked in it and I'm, I'm in it every day, I'm kind of desensitized so I can just throw myself off of <laughs> buildings and stuff. But <laughs> Yeah, that early um, experience was was crazy. It was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, I find it's uh, 
you think you're desensitized because we're working in VR and then mm. you'll try out some new game and yeah, it's like, true. I don't know, especially horror games for me, you'll you right. jump in and it's like, you forget how, uh, yeah. yeah, that initial feeling of VR. I purposely yeah. don't play any horror games. So yeah. I, I avoid that. <laughs> same, same. I mostly yeah. stay away from them, but <laughs> yeah, good, good, but, good. Um, sorry uh we'll cut this out um oh yeah yeah so i guess moving on from talking about um vr specifically and that Mm. side of things um who do you curious who do you look up to either in like the vr xr space or just in general in the i know you follow some people Mm. on twitter and like the animation and 3d modeling space yeah 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 so i have um I have a like an art Twitter account, I guess, where I just kind of follow like my art people in the industry, shader people in the industry. Uh, and one guy who is a, um, I mean, I've never met him. I've never talked to him, but he's just such a big pillar in the shader community. Is this guy named Alan Zucconi. And um, I feel like every tutorial you find online, actually there's two people. I can talk about two people. Alan Zucconi is one that most people have heard the name of his so many tutorials actually i can talk about three people sorry <laughs> there are like three people that i see all the time and their stuff is amazing their explanations for things are so good they have all the tutorials are by these three people alan zucconi cat like coding which uh, um, uh that's their name cat like coding i think and this one guy who i was originally like a patreon supporter of really early when when he was uh um just starting out his name was Polly toots Polytoots. And um, man, like he, he does a lot of amplify shader editor tutorials, which is the tool that I use to make shaders. And the way he explains things is so amazing. And um, I always recommend his stuff to people when they want to learn the software. I just feel like he uh, really understands all the nodes, really understands how it works and is able to explain it really well. And I feel like genuinely is every time I have a problem and I need a solution, he happens to post a video that has that solution within the last like week or month. It's crazy. It's so weird. It's happened so many times. Um, so those three people I feel like are my pillars in the the shader community that I really look up to. I've only ever talked to the Polytoots guy. The other two are just like, to me, they're famous, but they're just regular people. <laughs> but uh, they always um, they always have a solution to so many different. Uh, shader things that's where I, I i learn i've learned from them i didn't necessarily learn shaders in university or in high school or anything i kind of taught myself through these different resources online and and those three people definitely are the reason i'm here today and that that we are here today for sure for sure yeah. I, yeah. I guess that's a, that's i keep saying i guess um <laughs> that that's an important uh point i think too from, from my understanding, from what you've told me in the past, like going to Brock University and Niagara College with the dual degree program that they had there or that they still have and you were the first cohort of um, was a great program. But for, for their program and for a lot of programs, it is kind of split between you're either an artist or you're a programmer and they don't really, really teach that um, technical art side of things. Mm-hmm. So what would you say is like, for anybody that's looking to become a technical artist going to those three people would you i'm assuming you would still suggest going to school to to go through the program yeah. and that side of things or, absolutely yeah. so uh 
yeah, I can definitely talk about our program. So it was um it was split between two um I want to say faculties, but it was basically the same faculty. You rather go in like the programming stream or the art stream, and we had a lot of classes together, but we also had a lot of classes apart. Um, so I was in the art stream, and we like took maybe one or two programming classes just to be able to talk to programmers about it when we're making a game. But uh, yeah, technical art or like shaders in particular were not something that they really dived into. But since I started learning it, I've still, you know, talk with my old professors, like everyone's really tight at Niagara College and Brock. And um, they've talked about introducing it to the program. Um, they sort of want, yeah, they want to, uh, uh, they definitely see its, um, its benefit. And also just recently, really, shaders have become a industry or a, um, a technology that artists can get into a lot easier these days because originally shaders could only be written as like a programming script uh, in a language. Well, there's different languages, but usually HLSL. Um, and now in the last, I don't know, I would say probably 10, 20 years, or even 10, 15 years, um, there's been a lot of node-based editors that have come out. And even Unity now, the tool we use, has made their own that they support. And it basically allows you to make a shader just with these little uh, these little nodes so that they have the different functions. You, you put them together, you draw a little space in between the nodes, and it's really like artistic art friendly. So it allows artists to make their own shaders, um, which has been amazing. So I wouldn't have been able to learn shaders if if these tools didn't exist, right? Um, so for people that want to get in, and, and technical art is a big umbrella term. It can you can be a bunch of different types of technical artists. You can be a shader technical artist. You could be a an animator rigger uh, technical artist. That would be a person that uh, cares a lot about all the characters and giving them skeletons and giving them uh, bones and animating the bones and, and skinning them and stuff like that. There's a lot of weird terms if you're not a 3D artist, but those are really normal terms for us. Um, and uh, yeah, so there's a bunch of different fields you can kind of go into, but if specifically if you're interested in shaders, um, I definitely suggest giving like the node tools a try first. Um, <clears throat> even if you want to get into the, the scripting later, the node tools, I think, are a good first step. And there's so many tutorials online for that stuff now. People are really getting into them and, and making tutorials for them now. At the beginning, I could only find a few, but I feel like in the last five years, it's really blown up, especially with the introduction of uh, Shader Graph for Unity. That's the name of uh, Unity's built-in uh, node editor. Right, right. Yeah. And so if, if somebody was coming in like they're in grade 12 right now, you would suggest mm -hmm. they kind of find a program where hopefully they offer that, but if not, where they can kind of probably go down the art stream still. But then, Yeah, like I yeah. think university, college, um, I think a lot of the programs are still amazing regardless because they give you opportunities to make games. Like some of our classes, you we would spend the whole year just making a game, right? It was There wasn't like a... Uh, traditional lecture style. So that was really cool. Um, lets you just get so many good uh, communication skills, dealing with people in like um, team-based groups, uh, working on games and um, getting a lot of the uh, fundamental uh, aspects of, of game development. You kind of learn every little, every little part of it. 
I think what's really cool about it is they teach you every little part of that goes into game design or game development. Um, and then you can pick which one you really latch onto and take it your own way kind of thing. Right. Uh, so I, I would always suggest going to, going to post-secondary school for it. I think uh, probably 10, 20 years ago, it, it wasn't viable. Like they didn't have these programs back then. Um, but, but now I think it's definitely valid. Yeah. Awesome. And talking about, um, uh, or taking a complete pivot, I guess, uh, from mm-hmm. that, that area, um, what, what other technologies do you see kind of impacting or I guess <laughs> staying on kind of the same train? Um, what other technologies do you also see impacting, uh, VR or like technical artists, whether it be AI, BCI, um, mm. other like sensory type um, software or hardware that's coming out for VR. Right. Um, where are you kind of looking of the the future of development? Um, for us specifically, I think those yeah those like you were saying those hardwares that those hardware tools that allow us to um, generate data from the user as they're going through. So like, uh, like heart rate systems, um, being able to have that data alongside the exports of our simulation, I think would be amazing. Uh, like knowing what parts, uh, yeah, their, their heart rate really jumped up. Um, technologies alongside VR. I mean, um, we've seen so many of those haptic feedback systems, the, the, the chest, um, what I call the vest. I want to say, yeah, the vest, I was gonna say armor, the, <laughs> the, the vests, the, the hand tracking, uh, uh, haptics and stuff like that. I think those still need a little bit, but uh, I think that's definitely the, the future getting all those different haptic feedback, uh, being able to gather different, uh, biometric data, uh, during the simulation and, and having that be like a, I think that's something our clients really care for and care about too, is being able to see that data of how they were feeling while they were, while they were going through the simulation. I guess on, um, if, if you were, again, if you were a student in like grade 12 or even just a, a student in like right. a program at Brock or Niagara college, is there anything that you would be kind of looking out for? That's probably not something that they're, necessarily teaching right now about those different technologies or softwares that are coming out that you would Mm. be keeping your eye on? Um, I think like, again, like I was saying that they're starting to get into teaching about shaders, but I still think that it's not something that's very common. So, uh, and it's so fun, honestly, like it's so gratifying to work on them. So I think if you're a student or uh, someone who, who's really into the, the technology behind games or, or any type of when I say games it could be even what we do like we call them serious games they're still games per se but uh, they're in more of a, a training or serious context um, I think shaders and visual effects are so fun and, and gratifying to work on um, and I think uh, those tools that I'm talking about the node tools they are still early so looking out and um, and, and learning them and and watching them grow and update, uh, and, and getting proficient in them, uh, because I feel like a lot of, a lot of different softwares and tools are using this sort of node based system 
even like um, for our projects, we have this tool called the CMT tool. And we basically did the same thing. We made a node-based editor so that we can create dialogue trees in our simulations. So like that node-based uh, uh, framework or that node-based, um, yeah, that node-based framework is really common in a lot of tools that you're going to see in the future, I think. Uh, if there's even a language called Scratch, which is literally you are like programming with nodes. And it's usually what they teach uh, like younger children to get into programming. I did so that like, camp when I was kid. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> yeah. So like just getting used to the way node tools work, I think is like a huge benefit um, and a huge foot in the door because a lot of tools are going to be like that. All right, awesome. awesome. Cool. And we're, we're getting near the end here. I'd like to do kind of this rapid fire where I'll like say a word or two and then you respond with kind of the first word or thought that, that comes to mind. It's okay if it's more than a word, but try not to go on a tangent. Okay. So uh, yeah, to start it off, pop culture. Marvel. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's perfect. Uh, conference. See, yes. Yes. All right. Unity or Unreal? Unity. Unity. Can I pick the same word as what you're saying? Like, yeah, is, yeah. is that a question? No, for okay. sure. Yeah, Unity. yeah, for sure. Unity. Unity. Um, educational NFTs. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, no, that's a valid yeah. answer. Uh, the metaverse. Mm, early. Early. Education. Mm, pivotal. Uh, favorite book? Oh, I used to have an answer for this. Hold on, let me look at my book. <laughs> I love a good uh, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. That's a classic. Okay, okay. No, I take it back. Sorry, I take my chance. Uh, my very first favorite book was Holes. The like Holes, they made a movie yes. on it, but I read the book first. Yeah, so I'm gonna go with Holes. I, I guess to to take it off on a tangent from there, there's two more, but. Yeah. Um, I've never read Holes. I've seen the movie multiple times. Okay. Is it very different or? Um, I read it when I was like in grade six. I think okay. I remember it being pretty different than the movie, but okay. I just remember it was like the first book that I just like could not put down. Okay. And uh, yeah, I loved it. It was definitely a different vibe. I think the movie was more like chill, but the book was very like serious. Like it was, yeah. uh, it seemed more intense, the book. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. But interesting. I don't remember. I got to reread it. Okay. <laughs> uh favorite movie oh spy, uh into the spider-verse the, okay. the new the animated spider-man movies yeah. yeah probably the first one for sure the first one okay and like the reason why like it's just it's for me it's such like an artistic marvel like yeah. i i follow some of the artists on twitter and i see like how they made some certain shots and stuff and like there's so many little intricacies that i think people don't realize like the um when when miles morales is like just learning his moves uh his animation frame rate is really choppy to kind of show that he's like not smooth in his movements then as he gets better his frame rate of his animations um is like there's more frames so it looks smoother mm. anyways those I kind of things are just, yeah those things are so cool i love that movie yeah yeah in in the second one i i was so impressed i heard that the whole lego scene I remember how old he was like an 11 year right. old or 14 year old or something oh, like no way. did that whole scene uh oh yeah. it was like real life lego i thought those were i uh, know i think it was animated but like i guess 
that 11 year old or 14 year old oh. i can't remember how old he was he like did some sort of quick animation and just posted online and it kind of went viral so then oh, sony wow. or whoever reached out to him was like hey we'd like you to do a full scene in, in our movie wow yeah. that's awesome so so yeah that's that's my answer for like um I like it because of like work related things because it's like okay, art. Yeah. But my favorite like personal movie is The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Oh, it's I with, love um, The Secret. You love the movie? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's I think so it's. Good. I, I kind of put it on my list, like second or third in my like, yeah. Top movies. It's yeah. top ten for sure. Yeah. It's just such a good movie about life. And what's the main character's name again? Um, or the the actor? Uh, ben Stiller. Ben Stiller. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I just I always go back to that movie just to. Yeah, yeah. I'd be meaning to rewatch it as well. Yeah. yeah definitely. <laughs> All right, and then last uh, rapid fire. <laughs> I always let these tangents happen, but <laughs> last rapid fire. Um, this week or this month's top like XR news that you've been thinking about. Oh wow. Um, well, I did see. Uh, shoot, I don't know the name of it, but um, I did see this TikTok video about this guy who was on a plane and he had these like XR glasses. I forget the n- name of it. Do you see that Probably. video? I, I saw I the video. I think there actually. were the views. Or... Yeah, something like things started with a V. And he's like, oh, yeah. there's a guy, and he was sitting beside the guy with his glasses, and he was like, he's like, this guy was just not moving the whole plane ride. And then he looked over and noticed that there's like light coming from his glasses, and he was like watching a movie in his glasses, and they just look like regular glasses. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would love to find the video again and and figure out what the name of them were, but that was the we'll, that was. The we'll find it and put thing. it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was the most recent xr thing i've seen awesome interesting yeah no very interesting to see where ar and xr is going with those glasses that just look like glasses it's crazy Mm -hmm. all right and so three things to to wrap us up here um number one who should we have on the podcast next anybody come to mind obviously we're having a bunch of people from the team come on uh if you want to shout any of them out but also is there Mm -hmm. anyone else that comes to mind gotta be aiden kenny you know from the team but if you do bring him on you gotta bump out like a three-hour section he loves <laughs> he loves to no, i'm just kidding um yeah aiden from the team for sure would love to would love to see him on and 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 listen to what he has to say about the vr world i think another guy that i see in the vr world is um i follow him on youtube but adam savage the guy the original like mythbusters guy yep. he has um he has a, I guess it's his coworker, but Adam Savage usually does like the more uh, hands-on, like kind of like maker type style videos. And then his, his uh, coworker makes a lot of like tech, tech videos. And they, they've been interviewing, you know, all uh, Mark Zuckerberg. They've been uh, interviewing like, uh, uh, yeah, Facebook, Apple, and they, they get their hands on all the headsets, stuff like that. So they're really deep into that, that tech world. And I'd love to hear what they think about, um, uh, education and vr and education that would be cool for sure and they they have the channel adam savage is tested adam savage tested and then they have i think uh their second channel which is more about tech uh i don't remember what it's called but adam savage tested is the, is the main one they actually might do some of the tech stuff on there too okay awesome yeah and I guess last last question here for you. Um, any current project or anything in general that you would like to plug or anything that you would like to say oh. to the audience? 
Wow. Uh, I don't have any personal projects I'm working on right now. Actually, <laughs> this has nothing to do with our job or anything, but I'm currently um, digitizing all my family's home videos. This is so oh. random, but that's like my project I'm working on right now okay, is like cool. a, a gift to my, to my mom. She's been wanting to digitize all of our like VHSs for so long. So I bought a little Elgato and, um, and I'm trying to, to do that, but nothing to plug. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I sometimes post or not even Twitter. Let's go for my art station. That's where I post all of my, like, um, all of my art related things. I believe it's just artstation.com slash Rosati 16. We can link it down below if you want, but that's where I Perfect. post all my shaders, try to get them all looking good and shows a lot of my work in university as well. So you can see kind of what, again, if you're a student that wants to get into game development at the post-secondary level, you can kind of see some of the projects that we got to work on at, at that level. Right. So. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And yeah, I guess if anyone in the audience has tips and tricks for converting uh, family videos uh, from VHS, <laughs> and, yeah, uh, yeah, comment below. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you for coming on to the podcast and chatting. Very interesting hearing your perspective on everything. And obviously I knew what, what you're up to at Expert PR, but just uh, great to hear more about it and uh, share it with the audience. So thank you so much for coming on the Edgeverse Enigma podcast. Uh, thank you so much for having me, guys. Have a good day, everyone. Have a good one, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Thank you.